Take your Bible, if you would, please. I'd like to talk to you today about a real pertinent, important subject. In the book of Hebrews, chapter number 1, the book of Hebrews, chapter number 1, as you find your place there in the book of Hebrews, I'd ask you to pray for our teenagers. Uh, Brother Andrew and his wife will be leaving tomorrow morning real early going to California for some of our teens, for our seniors to take a look at uh, the school that Andrew rent when he went to California. And uh, so he and his wife will be taking, I don't know, several teenagers. They're going to drive. They want to see the beautiful scenery between here and El Paso. And so they decided to drive. So be in prayer for them, would you please? Because uh, it's a 20-hour drive, and um, they, they'll just pray for them, would you? Because it's very important where our teens uh, go to school once they get out of, out of high school. It's a shame to indoctrinate them in the things of Christ, then turn them loose in a pagan, heathenistic, agnostic, atheistic kind of, uh, of uh, educational system. And uh, so we like to encourage our kids to go to a good Christian college. Most of them are looking for an MRS degree anyhow. You'll get that after a while. And what better favor to, could you do for your teenager but put them in an environment where the best young men and young women in all of America are going to school? More than likely, they'll find a good mate there, one that loves God, one that wants to serve God. Andrew was going down the tubes till he met Amy. And he met her in Prune-Pickenville, USA, California. Let me talk to you this morning about a subject that I think is very, very, very important and grossly, grossly misunderstood. Salvation. Oh, how we have misunderstood misconstrued, misapplied. Salvation is not coming to an altar, saying a few words and weeping a few tears, and sorry you got caught. That is not salvation. Let me read for you just a few verses out of chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is written... I think by the Apostle Paul, you can have your, your choice or your opinion, but I think if you look in the book of First Peter, the last chapter, you'll find there a little evidence that Paul wrote the book. The Bible says in verse 1, God, it's a good way to start a book, isn't it? God who in sundry times and in divers' manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, 
whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now be careful. The book is written to caution Hebrew Christians about drifting back into the old religion of Judaism and building their own concoction of what Christianity is all about including the law into grace. It is written to those Hebrew Christians who had become neglectful of their salvation. And he's writing to a group of Christians who is in danger of drifting back to the old life or stopping short of the new life. You got that? Verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them, what's the last word? Slip. Are you slipping? Has the word that has been preached to you over and over and over and over again become stale and no longer is applicable to your life and your situation? Be careful. At any time, should we let them slip? I think Christianity as a whole, is sliding in the wrong direction. For if the words spoken by angels were steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that hurt him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Could I please just pose you a question? Where are you in your journey of salvation? You said, oh, but preacher, I thought that's what I got when I walked down the aisle, said a few words, walked back, sat down, and my sins were gone, and I'm on my way to heaven. 
That's not a great salvation. That's just deliverance from hell. Is your life better today than it was before you made your trip to the altar? Is your attitude different? At least you're here today and not at the ranger game. <laughs> but hey, God really got to love the rangers. Want to go play, see them play now. How shall we escape? Notice, if we neglect so great of salvation. Salvation, deliverance from the state and consequences of sin. Salvation, deliverance, safety, state of security, saved. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Salvation is an accomplished fact. Salvation is a continuing process. And salvation is something that happens in the future. Great salvation, Paul said. Neglect so great salvation. What have you done this week to aid in your salvation. What have you done this week to protect your salvation? What have you done this week that has made you more secure in your salvation? You say, wait a minute, preacher. When I got saved, I got it. Yeah, but when you got saved, that ain't all God wanted you to get. Amen. It's just you're satisfied with what you got. And that's why we're so happy, happy, happy. Because we're satisfied with what we got. But God called it a great salvation. We have been saved. We are being saved. And bless God, one blessed day, we shall be saved. Salvation is more than just a trip to the altar with a few tears than wallowing back to your hog pen living the way you did last week. I wasn't supposed to say that. That wasn't in my notes. <laughs> Can I help you, please? May I ask you, when you got saved and you re became the participant and recipient of salvation, what happened in your life? Did something only happen to you or did something happen in heaven? The Bible said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Thank God when I got saved some 49 years ago, this refers to my deliverance completely from God's judgment of sin. My sin were judged on Calvary. 
Jesus paid it all, all to him owe. Sin and lips to crimson stain, but Jesus' blood washed it white as snow. Is anybody here today glad that your sins are gone? Absolutely gone, hidden from the mind and back of God, thrown in the deepest part of the sea, never to be brought up again. My sins are gone. When I got saved 40-some years ago, I was delivered completely from the judgment of sin. Is anybody here glad of that? That's better than the Ranger game. That's better than the Maverick game, even if they do win occasionally. It refers to me in being delivered from sin. The Bible said, by grace we're saved. The Bible says in Titus, according to his mercy, he has saved us. It refers to being delivered from the judgment of sin. And may I say, if you've been saved, you'll never have to answer for your sin. Your sins were paid for at Calvary. But then we go a little bit farther, if you would please, and you look in the book of 1 Corinthians 1 and 18, the Bible talks about the power of salvation. The power of salvation, the continuing process of being saved. Did you notice that when you got saved, God did not hit you with a magic wand, whop, on top of your head, and instantly you were made perfect. Oh, some of us act like it. But when I got saved and you got saved, it was not an instant perfection. It was not automatically wham, you were made like Jesus. You were just delivered from the penalty of sin and the judgment of sin. But now that you have been saved, the fact of your salvation, you've been saved, you have now entered a process called sanctification. The Bible said it is God who worketh in you to do His will. Are you allowing and committing and surrendering yourself to what God is trying to accomplish in your life? If you are, you are being saved. If you're not, you've slid back become happy and just as content as you ever were. Some of you folk looking like a calf looking at a new gate. What in the world is a preacher talking about? An old Christian farmer frequently admitted, I'm not making much progress, but I'm established. You know anybody like that? I'm not making much progress, but I'm established. It's what the Christian farmer always said. That's a good way of saying I don't go to church, I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, I don't tithe, but I'm going to heaven anyhow. And everybody got tired of the guy. I'm, I'm not making much progress, but I'm established. One day he and his team of horses was pulling some logs out of the woods. They come to a huge mud hole, and the logs just sunk in the mud. And he hit those horses, and he yelled at them, and those horses pulled and yanked as hard as they could, and they could not get the logs out. 
The old man in disgust just sat down on the log and didn't know what he was doing. A friend walked by and said, Say, I see you're well established but not making much progress. Are you stuck in the mud? Is your Bible reading becoming more glorious? Is your fellowship with God, time with God, becoming more intimate and real? Your heart paineth when it comes to Sunday like it does an athletic contest? If not, you're established, but you're not making any progress. That's another way of saying you're stuck in the mud. <laughs> Amen, preacher. Good preacher. Yes, this is Sunday evening service. Y'all be preaching Sunday night. I hope somebody still loves me. Therefore, my beloved, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Does that mean that you save yourself? No. It says that you aid in God sanctifying you and working you out and taking where God wants you to go. But God can't do that. You land at home on Sunday, Wednesday night and Wednesday night. God can't do that. You're laying under a vehicle. God can't do that. Bless your heart. Working down at the job. You've got to help God, aid God, in working out the process of salvation in your life, conforming us to the image of his dear son. Is there anybody here? Somebody said, well, preacher, I don't want that. No, you're stuck in the mud. You're stuck in the mud. One of these days you die and somebody have to lie about your Christian testimony at your funeral. I thought that would be good. Evidently it wasn't. Oh, preacher, say this about him. Oh, preacher, say that about him. Oh, preacher. I said, won't you do the OB? That way I don't have to lie about it. Ain't that something? Christians who's stuck in the mud, who's not in the process of working out what God is working in, are the ones we have to lie about when they die. Because the family expect you to say good things about bad people. Well, that was a Wednesday night sermon. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we shall be saved at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We have been saved from the penalty and judgment of sin. We are being saved by the, from the power of sin. And when Jesus comes again, we shall be Saved from the very presence of sin. Now, with that in mind, could I read you a verse again? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed 
earnest he. Amen. Earnest he. That stops, that speed sign through Joshua that says 45. If you do not give that earnest heed, there will not be long till there will be a bubble gum machine behind you giving you earnest heed. 200 bucks. Say, how do you know? My wife has met that guy several times. earnest he. If this salvation we have is so great, so marvelous, so wonderful, and presents to us such a wonderful, spectacular eternity, don't you think that we ought to give the more earnest heed to the process of working out that salvation that God has given us. Lest at any time we should let them do what? Slip. Do you see Christianity slipping just a dab? Do you see churches slipping just a dab? You know why churches are slipping just to down? Because Christians are slipping just to down. And I just say this today to warn us that those who eagerly wait for him appearing the second time without sin unto salvation, I believe Jesus is coming. And if he doesn't come real soon, some of us is going to have to meet him through the mortuary. Little girl one night was walking home about dusk and she entered the cemetery and she started walking through the cemetery and an old man who sat at the gate said to her, aren't you afraid to go through the cemetery at night? She said, oh no, my home is just on the other side. Where's your home? It's just on the other side. I like what's written on a tombstone, gone home with a friend. Are you listening to me this morning? Going home, I'm going home with a friend. Thank God for salvation. Thank God it's a great salvation. Can anybody say amen? Now for 10 minutes, I'd like to hang three pictures on your mind from this one little verse. Three pictures. Some could do it more eloquent, but not right now because I'm the only one that's doing it. Three pictures. Andrew could do it more homiletically. I can't come up with all them H's and B's and bulls and all that kind of stuff. I just, I just get what I got. Three pictures. Number one, what a wonderful, great, marvelous, spectacular salvation God has provided. 
I mean, even the Methodists ought to be able to shout amen on that deal. You got it? It ought to put a smile on your face. Amen? You say, but I got a lot of trouble. But one of them is not that you're going to spend eternity in hell. You say, preacher, I got a lot of woes and a lot of concerns. One of them is not. You're going to hear the cries and moans and screams of dying, burning, screaming, godless people throughout eternity. You have got it made if you've been saved. Just a picture of God's glorious and wonderful and magnificent salvation. And I'm glad it's not a Baptist salvation. I'm glad it's not a Pentecostal salvation. Although I think God's salvation make you act more like Pentecostal than it does Baptist. Amen. But I like to hang a beautiful picture on your mind of God's salvation. I don't have time, but I'd like to hang another picture on your heart and on your mind. The great peril that faces us all. The great peril that faces us all. And that's neglect. We're the greatest neglectors in all the world. You don't believe me? Go look at some of our yards. You don't believe me? Look at some of you ladies' closets. You don't believe me? Look at somebody's dog pen. We are tremendous neglectors. Some of us are overweight. Neglecting exercise. Some of us have lost the hair. Neglecting their toupee. <laughs> Do you know anybody who is eat up with neglect? Just walk by the cars in the parking lot and look at all the quick chicken boxes and pizza boxes and McDonald boxes in the car. Neglect. Another picture I'd like to hang on your heart and mind, just a minute, is the great problem we all face if we neglect. No exemptions. No chrome toenails. You're not special. You neglect, you pay the price. You neglect, your kids pay the price. You neglect, your wife pays the price. You neglect, your church pays the price. Just three pictures I'd like to hang on your mind. Notice the great provision. <laughs> A great provision. Salvation. Is it a code of ethics? A pious look? How do you look when you get saved? Is it a form of rules and set of rules that once you get saved, you've got to do this, do that, 
dress a certain way, have your hair a certain length. Look, if my hair would grow, I don't care if you call me a beetle. It's so humorous about long hair on a man, short hair on a woman. I don't know. I, I guess in certain circles, long hair on a man has to do with geographically location of the hair and the direction that it is pointing that makes it long. Because I know some men who have one hair wrapped 10,000 circles on the top of their head, but that's not long. But now if you've got one hair over your ear, that's long. Is salvation a bunch of Baptist rules? What is this great salvation? Could it be uh, an emotional release when we get say a few words that all of the emotions that has been hounding us and crowding in on us and about to make us go crazy, all of a sudden they're released and hallelujah, I'm saved. Is salvation nothing more than an emotional release of guilt? Although that's what many folks think when they come to the altar, my burden was lifted. Hallelujah, I'm shouting glory to God. Now I can go back to the hog pen and do what I want to. A great salvation, is it uh, an experience like barking or laughing or dancing? On television, some folks, when they get it, they bark like dogs. They laugh, they jump, they scream. Could I please, if I was going to describe salvation to you and you were going to describe it to me, is there any place in the Word of God that might explain it to us so that the smallest and the most intellectual could understand? A great salvation. Did Jesus ever in his ministry explain in detail what salvation is all about. And if I were to come to you today and ask you to explain to me in layman terms this great salvation, where would you go in the Word of God to try to explain it? If it's so great, surely, there's some place in this book that we can go to and learn what it is. Do I have your attention? Please wake up for the next five minutes. Turn your Bible to the book of Luke, chapter 15. And maybe by God's grace, we can see why this salvation that Paul is talking about is so great. It's five minutes till 12. 
I promise you, I'll be done. I'm not saying when, but I'll be done. You say, preacher, you don't know, but you're done already. Watch this. Do you have your Bible now? Great salvation. Watch this. And I can even understand this. I, 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 in, my, in my infantile mind that is now seeking rest from all of its long journey, <laughs> I can even understand this. Watch this. This is salvation. This is salvation. And he spake this parable unto them, Luke 15, verse 3, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is, what's the next word? Lost until he finds him. You didn't find him. You weren't even looking for him. He was looking for you. And if you have not been found and still wandering in the wilderness of this old world, he's still looking just for you. You said, I'll get there my way. No, no, you're lost. You don't know which way it is back to the house. That's what lost means. Have you ever been lost? I mean really lost. I'm not talking about downtown Fort Worth and you with a GPS deal in your hand. I'm talking about in the swamp, in Louisiana, at night, looking at eyeballs laying on top of them waters, and you don't know which way it is back to the truck. That's for GPS, telephone, telewoman, anything. Have you ever been lost? That means you don't know which way it is back. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but one of our legs must be shorter than the other. Because if you do not have a compass or a star, to keep you going in a straight direction, somehow or another, you'll always walk in a circle. I left a 22 rifle laying by a cypress tree in the swamps of Louisiana and walked and walked and walked and walked and said, that looks like my rifle. You'll walk in circles until you can't walk no more. And that's what lost people do spiritually. They just walk from one bar to one woman, one man, one smoke, one act, one thing, right around and around because... They're lost, and they don't know which way it is back to the house. So the good shepherd 
Say amen. Came looking for that which was lost. Can I read you another verse? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, doing what? That sheep ain't done nothing yet except wander away. And he's gone from lonely and lost, desperately needing help, not looking for the shepherd or looking for home, just wandering. And the shepherd, the Lord Jesus, found the lost sheep and laid it on the shoulder. Notice Jesus did not say we need to bathe it before we put it on our shoulder. No telling what he'd been walking around in all night. No telling what you've been walling around in either. But that's okay. Jesus loves you just like you are. And he will take you and lay you on his shoulders. Huh? Huh? Here's a good thing, good news. Jesus knows which way it is back to the house. Somebody asked me one time, how do you know you're going to heaven? I said, you idiot, I'm going with somebody that's been there. How are you going? I'm going with somebody that has been there. And he lays it on his shoulders. Muddy. Cold, wet, and damp, lost and lonely, and he finds the sheep, and he lays it on his shoulders. Could I read you another verse? Next one. And when he cometh home, he calls together his neighbors. Saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Now, I know there's something there you need to see while I close. He didn't put the sheep down till he got the sheep where? Home. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Because he that gave them to me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. When Jesus Christ put me in his bosom and laid me on his shoulder, holds me in, my, in his hand, he's not going to put me down till he gets me to the mansion that is built for me on Hallelujah Boulevard. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Can anybody say amen? If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that when I come again, I will receive you unto myself. Great salvation. Great salvation. Great salvation. Are you listening today? We must be very careful that we get saved and stop in the process 
of God's plan for our life. God has a plan for each one of us. Best thing you can do is get your ideas out of God's plan. He's still working on you. Remember that little old song? To make me what I ought to be. Remember that song? I just think maybe in concluding this three-point message with one and a half points, that it's a great salvation. It's great because of the love that provided it. For God so loved this old, stinking, rotten, hellish world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You may be loved, but you're not loved by anyone like God loves you. God loves you with an everlasting life an unchanging life, an unaltered life. It's a great salvation because of the love that provided it. It's a great salvation because of the price it took to provide it. In this was manifested the love of God, that God sent His Son, His only begotten Son, into the world, that through Him we might be saved. Here in his love, not that God loved us, but God sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. What a price. I have three sons. None of them is worth much. But I wouldn't give any of them for you. It's not that they're better than you. It's just their dependence on my income tax. But God loved us when we were unlovely. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a great salvation because of the love that it took to provide it. And the price it took to purchase it. And the blessings that's included in it. The forgiveness of sins. If we confess our sins, huh? He is faithful. He's just to forgive us of all of our sins. Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we walk in the light as he is the light, God's Son, the blood of God's Son cleanses us from all sin. Great love. Great price. Great blessings. Eternal life. The older I get, I'm sure the closer the mortuary gets. Have anybody noticed that? One good thing about me, my workplace is not far from my going home place. Same block. We're on first name basis 
Oh, I see Gene kicked off. I'll come and get him after a while. No, you're just coming to get what's left. Gene's already gone. Amen. And I give unto them eternal life. Great salvation. But oh, how trifle, as we close, how trifle we treat this great salvation. Having the idea that it's all finished. When you get saved, salvation only begins. We have been saved. We are being saved. And one of these days we'll hear the trump of God sound. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together in the air with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the day our salvation is finished. Of course, now some of us finished it a long time ago. We're like the farmer, stuck in the mud. But you don't have to stay there. Amen. You don't have to stay there. 